Good afternoon and welcome to another edition of Down the HR Rabbit Hole. My name is Sanders Offner and I'm the president of Crescent Payroll Solutions and Crescent HR. Uh, we've got a, a great show for you today with a lot of fantastic content, which I'm sure the listening audience will thoroughly enjoy. But before I do that, I do want to introduce our resident HR advisor, Philip Carrillo. Welcome, Philip. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. Excellent. Well, Philip, if you don't mind, let's um, go ahead and introduce our special guest today. Wonderful. Today with us, we have Michelle Parker, uh, Senior Population Health Management Consultant with USI Southwest Incorporated. Um, today's topic is a continuation of last week's topic. We were discussing last week um, the financial side of benefits and how you can be strategic and how you look at the costs of benefits. And today we want to move on a little bit on uh, into a little bit more of the uh, fun side of benefits, which is how you um, how you promote health and wellness with your workforce and. What we're really curious to know from you today is um, how you can control costs using some of these fun incentives. And so um, without further ado, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, Michelle? Yes, thank you so much for uh, being here. Um, thank you for the opportunity. My name is Michelle Parker, and I am the Senior Population Health Management Consultant at USI. I'm actually a part of a team of four in the Houston office, but also a part of a team of 30 nationally. So we're always bouncing ideas about what's working in uh, population health management, what's new, what's trending. Um, and so we have a lot of fun sharing those ideas and thoughts. Um, and so my role is to specifically help clients develop and deploy wellness and population health management solutions. Um, and one of our most popular solutions is uh, physician engagement. Um, and that's just simply getting your annual exam, right? We know that about 30% of our population only goes and gets an annual exam. So only 30% of our population knows where they stand as it relates to high cholesterol, mm -hmm. diabetes, and high blood pressure. And so um, we just want to start by encouraging them to just get in front of that doctor and have that conversation with their doctor so that they are better able to manage um, their conditions and thereby mitigating those high-cost claims that we see. So, okay, so let me ask you a, a follow-up question to that. For me, I always wonder why um, would an employer want employees to know? <laughs> I mean, I know the answer okay. to this, or a few answers at least, but there are reasons why you want to encourage your employees to go and be proactive about their health. Can you list a few? Absolutely. So you think, you know, hey, if I'm sending, you know, employees to the doctor, then I'm going to start seeing an uptick in claims. Yes. And that's right, right? But it's a good uptick in claims, right? Because um, you're going to get diagnoses uh, for your employees that don't know that they're ticking time bombs, right? Mm. You know, you have to think about that person that's working out in the hot sun that doesn't know they have high blood pressure, and then all of a sudden they stroke out, right? So you'd rather have them know you know, be under the care of a doctor instead of getting a stroke and then there's another high cost claimant, right? So yes. we want to encourage them to be proactive. Um, we think that getting them in front of the doctor instead of those on-site biometric screenings that we are all very popular um, in having, where we bring um, on-site clinics to uh, the employee population, yep. you know, that's a good idea from a culture perspective to start with. However, we found that when we do that, people become aware, but then they don't 
do anything else about it, right? So they need to take some initiative. Is that what you were saying? Absolutely. Walk to the doctor's office rather than walk downstairs to the Absolutely. Bus. Yeah, <laughs> because that doctor's going to prescribe you with the medication that you need to help you get managed. That doctor's going to have a conversation with you. Um, and we can also see that on a data perspective um, where we can track that year over year and we start to see the trend go down versus nothing ever happening year over year. Mm. So that's why we encourage that that um, PCP engagement. Have y'all done any kind of projections about the, the cost differentials when you're looking at the person in the third or fourth year of employment who has not taken advantage or availed themselves of their doctor, um, you know, their, their medical coverage, and suddenly they wind up in the hospital for a stroke versus another kind of population that will go to the doctor proactively on a regular basis and manage perhaps um, underlying issues. Have you ever done any kind of studies on that front? Yeah, we actually have. And what we found is that individuals who are, you know, projected to be higher cost in claims beca because of some of the conditions that they may already have, um, they cost the plan less because they're getting that management. They're getting that prescription, those prescriptions, and they're being better taken care of than those individuals who don't know. So we find that individuals who were projected to be higher cost actually cost the plan less because they're being managed in front of a doctor. Yeah, that's great. Very interesting. Michelle, I have a question for you. Sure. You know, so I, I, I see a lot of businesses where you have, you know, HR professionals that um, love this idea and, and wholeheartedly believe in it and want to push it out. But then you've got ownership that it could potentially be highly against it for whatever reason that might be what what is what would be your advice or guidance to um to arm an hr person to be able to go back to the owners of the company and say here's why we need to do this and here's the benefit and the roi potentially on 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 what it could do for you yeah and i think that you know we get that question a lot um and i think if you start with the clinical data right you understand what is going on in your clinical data what is your population at risk for and then use that clinical data as a roadmap to determine where your program is going to go from a year-over-year -year perspective the other thing is um, i tend to tell my clients to look at this as a partnership right um, we both have an interest um, in making sure that our claims are lower so that we don't have to pay as much and so when we encourage um, our employees to go to the doctor you know we're it's kind of like a partnership you know we are providing you with benefits and so in order to keep those benefits low cost then we want you to go and, and see a doctor to help you manage some of the conditions that you may be you know experiencing so it's like a partnership okay great that's great um, let's talk a little bit about the programming that you can help employers bring to um, to enhance their benefits programs. Okay. Um, so, again, I always say it starts with data. A lot of times wellness gets um, kind of a negative connotation because people think it's about eating tofu and stress balls and... <laughs> <laughs> you know, a lot of physical activity uh, programs and all those things are, are great, again, for cultural builders, right? We have to be well-rounded. Um, however, I, you know, one of the reasons why I came to USI six years ago, I was on the ground, you know, running with wellness programs at MD Anderson and then spent a little bit of time at the city of Houston where I was actually doing these wellness programs and in the trenches. And one of the things that brought me to USI six years ago is the fact that we use data to do a lot of our programming. Um, you know, P 
people always look at data from a financial perspective and they never think to look at data from a clinical perspective. And so when you look at that data and you see what's going on, you understand what's going on. And so based on that data, you can put in solutions like, you know, MSK programming for back pain, you know, and neck pain. People never think about those things. You know, when was the last time you looked at your prevalence of diabetes? You know, those are targeted disease, there are targeted disease management initiatives that can focus strictly on the things that you're seeing in your claims data. So that's going to be different for everyone. And so a place to start would be to understand your data and then go from there. And it brings to bear, too, on what kinds of snacks you're subsidizing in the snack room. <laughs> I mean, all of this, I think, could, ha could have some good impact. Yes, absolutely. Um, well, let's talk a little bit about um, the last year and a half. Talk to me about health and wellness in the time of COVID-19 and what you've done, if anything, to uh, help employers through that. Absolutely. So, you know, COVID was a time, right? We all learned about ourselves, good or bad, right? Um, and with only 30% of the population going to get their annual exams prior to COVID, how can you tell someone to go get their annual exam during COVID, right? There's a fear there. You couldn't in some cases too. E exactly. There some barriers for sure. Exactly. Rightfully so. People did not want to go into the doctor's office, right? Um, and so what we saw was that, you know, because of that delayed care, you know, in the future, what we're going to start to see is that, you know, we're going to see an uptick in those cancer claims, right, because they were not diagnosed earlier. Yes. Um, people delayed a lot of care. So what we can, you know, kind of project is that because of that delayed care, we're going to start to see an uptick of conditions that may not have been there prior to COVID. Wow, this is big data at its best, really. What you're really able to do is look at normal and then the last year and a half. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and say, okay, we're about to get back to normal here, and that's going to be a big change. Yeah, because some of those people who, you know, would ordinarily go get it, their, their screenings did not because of the fear of, you know, contracting COVID. So absolutely. Wow. Well, that's a scary, and uh, it's good to know, but it's also a little scary. Yeah, <laughs> but you can start, start today and putting plans in place and solutions in place to help, you know, kind of mitigate what we're going to see in the future. How? Where do we start? So I would, again, start with data, um, look at see what, what's going on in your plan, um, and then a simple strategy would be to engage your population in going to their primary care physician. Um, and then once they do that, again, you're going to obtain additional data from those statistics and then uh, deploy those solutions accordingly, uh, according to what your data is suggesting. Awesome. Can you tell me a little bit about how you guys interact with medical professionals? Do they are do they come into your programming? Do they help you by giving you expert guidance on how to help populations be healthier? So medical experts like oh, doctors, nurses, nutritionists, so forth. Um, yeah. So you know, depending on what kind of programming solutions you put in place, um, there are nutritionists that you know you you would want to put in place for like a weight management or a, a mm -hmm. obesity program. So you would come into contact with them. Um, I think doctors um, this day and age, because so many people have already you know engaged the doctor with those you know they're coming in with their wellness forms. They're already used to it, so they do. They sign those wellness forms. They know that you know organizations are asking their employees to partnership with them to give. Uh, lower rates for annual exams so mm -hmm. I think the culture is building um, and just we just need to continue that yeah for sure I've always availed myself of the um, those monetary incentives through uh, 
uh, insurance companies like Blue Cross Blue Shield, they'll give like a $300 incentive to employees who want to go and make, you know, get get their doctor to fill out a form yes. saying they're healthy or they're on their way to being healthier than maybe they were. Yes. Those are always fun. And, um, Incentives are an important part of that, right? Um, I have a three-year-old. I have to incentivize her to do anything that I ask her to do, <laughs> yeah. right? So I uh, put that on, uh, you know, show uh, clients how they can incentivize their employee population to do those things. And so incentives are a big part of that. I love that. Hey, Philip, um, I have a question in, in you know, how, you know, in regards to what um, what you do with some of our clients in helping them with their, their HR best practices and policies, what, you know, what, what can you see us kind of, or what can we or can I maybe get into as it pertains to potentially helping a business or a business owner really bring to light what these type of wellness programs can do uh, for their business? Like what, you know, and, and maybe we could, you know, this is a question for Michelle as well. Like, what are you, what would be your suggestion for us in helping promote this type of service that you all offer? So I think, you know, what I would tell my clients who are just not ready to pull the trigger on something like physician engagement would be to educate, educate, educate throughout the year. We tend to only educate during open enrollment, right? And that's always a stressful time. You have to make a decision by a certain date and people are just trying to get those things done. Um, but I think, developing a communication strategy around yes. the importance of physician engagement, the importance of getting an annual physical, um, you know, what is your percentage of individuals that have high blood pressure, just some small nuggets of information that you can kind of, I call it sprinkling around throughout the year so that people start to understand and get educated about, you know, their health. And so when you do develop a plan, it isn't so forced because you've yeah. been sprinkling bits of information throughout the year um, and so they've under kind of gotten an understanding as to why this is occurring yeah it's so much more um, inculcated in that clay in that case and I think as in almost every other functional HR area um, the key of course is communication and having a real strategic um, mindset when you're uh, contriving a plan yeah. to help employees be, uh, you know, who and, and the best that they can be. Sure. Um, the other piece that I, that I wanted to mention to that point um, has to do with how you're managing your employees. So if it becomes really difficult for an employee to take off to go to the doctor, for example, that's a, an actual known imp impediment sure. for people availing themselves with their medical, a more routine medical program in their own lives is, is it more difficult to get off from my job? So yes, one can say that we have a culture of uh, enablement and that we're really encouraging people to live healthier lifestyles and avail themselves of all these things and so forth. But a wellness program really would have to encompass um, more than just uh, the communication piece. And I think it has really to do with um, how accommodating is a business for that kind of sure. thing, which I think goes back to that um, sort of food truck idea where you bring the, the medical professionals on site. That's a great idea, but I also could see it, were I in that situation, I would be a little reticent to go down and, uh, you know, unload all of my medical issues to somebody I really don't know on some bus, you know. So that's, um, I think we have to really think strategically about who your, your people are, mm -hmm. um, how they've historically behaved, and what kind of accommodations you can make. And it can sometimes boil down to as much as PTO, sure. things as simple as PTO. Sure, sure. And um, we have helped clients in the Our past 
um, be flexible in that way with those barriers. I mean, you know, from extending the program time frame to a 12-year time frame to where the end of the employee is earns the reward in one year and then they are rewarded the next year. Mm-hmm. So that kind of mm-hmm. helps eliminate that barrier to trying to get off because you have a 12-month time frame to get this done. So anytime within point. that, yeah, anytime within that time frame you can get it done. Um, or a lot of our groups just give that day off, give eight hours or four hours um, or whatever that that um, time frame is needed to, mm-hmm. to get those people over that barrier. But um, that's all a part of, you know, kind of thinking out your program plan um, understanding what your culture is mm-hmm. and understanding what kind of work environment you have. Yeah, and training. what your business can also accommodate. I mean, that's obviously a, a something that has to be said. <laughs> you know, accommodation is, um, you know, it has to be a reasonable thing as well. So um, I understand the businesses, some businesses can't just let employees off anytime that they want. There's a, a flexibility as uh, luxury in some cases. So, well, I'm curious about, um, and maybe this is our, Last question here. Um, I'd like to hear a little bit about what the biggest costs are and maybe just talk about some of the more common costs. Maybe that's a better question um, that your program specifically can impact positively for employers. A lot of times this feels very heady. Employers can't apply what they know or what their insurance broker is telling them to actual programming for their people or they can't think well how does that really affect us we've got you know 50 millennials heart attacks are less common for millennials that's just a fact so tell us a little bit about some of those things yeah and you know in the room, there's always this financial guide. It's like, Michelle, tell me the bottom line. How much money am yeah. I going to save? You know, and, and that's a good question, especially yeah. in business, right? Because you want to know that bottom line. You want to understand what, you know, where the dollars are going to go and how much it's going to cost. And in wellness and in health, it just doesn't work like that, right? Because we are predicting these people's kind of conditions, right? right? Um, so what I can say is that, yes, you will see an uptick in utilization, right? But the idea is that you will start to see um, claims mitigate down because you're going to catch cancers at an earlier stage, right? And we know that when those cancers are caught in an earlier stage, not only does it you know, save lives, right. but it also costs the plan less, yeah. right? So you're going to start to see some of those kinds of conditions, you know, cost the plan less. Um, there isn't a finite dollar amount because it's kind of like an oil change. You know that your car has to have an oil change. Mm-hmm. Why? To prevent further things from happening and your car just kind of bunking down, right? You just right. know that. So in this case, we kind of think of that you know, annual exam is the same thing as your annual oil change. You have to get it done, right, so that you can mitigate some of the conditions that you may come across and catch some of those things earlier before it gets worse, and you have to pay more for it. I love that. One, one actually follow-up question to sure. that. <laughs> I never let anyone go, really, <laughs> after, it, after it gets going. Um, <clears throat> what can, and maybe this is m- m- more a question for myself, but Bosses really can't go around asking people, have you gotten your annual exam? Who's responsible for making these communication um, see changes at these organizations? Who really needs to drive this? So it's kind of, I, I would say, it's two ways to kind of look at it. You can do this internally, and no HIPAA data is being shared, right? You mm-hmm. can communicate it out. You give a deadline, and you just assume that you've communicated it to the best of your ability for your population. Or you can work with a third-party vendor that does this every day. They develop the communication materials. Mm-hmm. They develop your strategy based on what you're, you're wanting, your goals are and your culture. 
um, and they help you do that. They can collect HIPAA-protected data, and they can give it to you in an aggregate form, right? Data is key. It's going to give you a lot of information on your upcoming years of programming. Yes. Um, and so that's that's what you should consider. Do I want to do this internally where it is it can be done from a compliant perspective? No HIPAA data can be shared, but administratively, do you have that person? And if not, then you may want to consider hiring a third-party vendor um, that will be able to administer that process for you. Awesome. Very, very, very good advice. Well, that's all well, I have, Sanders. Yeah, no, I think um, we'll, we'll probably wrap up. I just want to add, you know, Michelle, I think from a from a um, an ownership perspective, I think if business owners um, are leading with what's important to them and their culture and, and that their employees are their number one asset, uh, th- this to me is a no-brainer why it should be um, on their top of mind because if you've got great people, then you certainly want to be able to take care of them because they're an asset to your business. So we certainly appreciate what you all are doing with USI and and the importance that it that it certainly has in the in the business community and the HR professionals across the country as well. Agreed. So that is um that is going to wrap up today our podcast. Michelle, we appreciate you so much for being on. Thank you for having and, me. And um, that'll absolutely. So that'll do it. Uh, well, thanks again for another edition of Down the HR Rabbit Hole. We will see you all next time.